It's an orgy of gaming, everybody knows your name. The organizer and Satan are one and the same. And we'll be bumping uglies playing in shows games. North Texas RPG Con. First weekend in June at the Weston Inn in scenic urban Texas. Pack those dice bags and a spare liver. North Texas RPG Con. North Texas RPG Con. North Texas RPG Con. North Texas RPG Con. And welcome to the Geomologist Presents. That was the infamous, famous, notorious TJ Drennan with a anthem for North Texas RPG Con. I've been back at a great time. I'm going to talk about it here in this report. But I also got a lot of call-ins that have been accumulating. I have call-ins from, from Michael, the Chicago Wiz of the Dungeon Master's Handbook, from Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, from Joe Richter of High and Sightless, and from Colin Green from Spike Pit. So I'll field those questions and comments, and uh, like I said, talk about North Texas RPG Con. I met so many people. I will probably give shout-outs here and there. I hope I don't miss everyone, but I probably will. So if I hung out with you, I met with you at North Texas RPG Con, and you listened to my podcast, it was great to see you. Can't wait till next year. Can't wait till the next con. Maybe it'll be game hole or gary con or some other con but um yeah i was had a great time so of gaming and socializing and uh drinking beer and having great conversations so i will now get into it Right, so like I've stated before, I played in three games that I signed up for and ran two games. However, I did play in a pickup game, which is one of the goals that I had in mind for North Texas RPG Con. So it was a really fun pickup game, sort of spontaneously organized by Levi Combs. And uh, it was like nine players, and it was cool. We played um, Planescape. So AD&D, second edition, he had pre-gens. Uh, we uh, we did like this. We had this mission for uh, one of the factions to kind of plane hop around um, out of sigil and uh, collect information, I guess, or power, and then return it to them. And they would give us a key to a portal where we could return uh, to the prime material plane, our home world. And I it really had a good time. Very evocative. It was really fun to play with Levi. And it was great to sit. I get finally had a pickup game. I had I had a great time doing that. And I will try in the future, if I go to these cons, to keep like I did this time to keep some spaces and time open. I kept my um, Friday and Saturday night open uh, for that possibility, and it was rewarded. So I really had a good time. So I played in Stefan. I had two. Playings, one where I ran, one where I played in Weird Frontiers, which is a great game, and I really want to try to push to get it to the table, maybe play test some more of my stuff. Um, I was able to play test Blue Candy Clouds, and I just had a rough outline, and I think it worked pretty well. I I, I do feel like this one, much like uh, Stefan's uh, Slugman, 
Sinister Secret of the Slugman or something like that. Where, I mean, maybe these adventures for cons are kind of formulaic. You have an initial encounter. You have a mystery. You travel to where you think the mystery is located. You have some random encounters. And then you have a mini dungeon crawl or a fight with a big boss or something like that. Um, and that's kind of how they both went. I don't want to say too much about either of these because they're both in development. But I, you know, I had a good time. I like Weird Frontiers. I think one of the most appealing things about Weird Frontiers is all the different uh, character classes that you can play. Each of them has a um, like a D dice or a, a luck dice that they roll on top of their roll to attack. And they have many different well thought out, I think, abilities that make them um, very special and unique to play. And de definitely that is a draw for me for Weird Frontiers. And I know Stefan and I want to get on and talk about why you should play Weird Frontiers. I know I did why you should play DCC a while ago, but it'd be great to uh, highlight a subset or a kind of a rule set using the DCC uh, backbone um, and highlight that. So those are pretty fun things about North Texas RPG Con is that Weird Frontiers and DCC have a very strong presence. I ran into David Beatty, the author of Weird Frontiers, and we chatted. We actually played, both played in a Levi Combs pickup playscape game. So that was pretty cool. So I was able to get into a game run by Jeff Tulanian for Hyperborea. It was called The Oral Odyssey, and it had a great premise, I thought. And I definitely want to explore this idea that you can be transported from our world or another world into Hyperborea. And that's kind of what we did. We were German prisoners from the Roman times uh, being taken to Rome in a cart. Uh, we were or taken by the Aurora Borealis uh, to Hyperborea. And uh, the antics continued from there. I really enjoyed this game. Jeff brought in a lot of fun ideas that highlight his sword and sorcery and weird fantasy setting and really um, encouraged me to try to push Hyperborea on my home groups and my um, online groups and get back to that game. So, and here's what's great about this game is it, it was like one of the best games I've ever played, even though it ended in a TPK. And because it, it was, we, we made our decision. We had to stick with it. Yes. I know it's a con game and, and that's kind of a, a central theme. Well, it's just a con game, so we just go all out and crazy. But I think it, was a, it wasn't like that in the decision. It was a very well-thought-out decision based on our situation and the type of character uh, player characters we had and the players at the table. And it went down to who won initiative. And we lost, and I think I was the last barbarian standing. Uh, I took a shot at the big bad, hit them and uh, injured them but did not drop them and the next round we both rolled initiative jeff rolled a four and i rolled a two and the big bad creature hit my character and created cut them in half end of story and jeff declared i won so <laughs> i think it was fun for all at the table a really great experience and that got me actually um to little side note here that i you know in our um Thursday home group game, uh, we didn't have a quorum to play Star Wars, which was scheduled to be played uh, last night. And instead, I threw, uh, brought out um, Rats Within the Walls, one of the uh, adventures from Hyperborea. And I had brought up pre-gens, but the, and the player characters kind of, or one of the players looked at him and said, 
But I, but he, and then he started looking at the different character classes in Hyperborea. And again, this is why I feel like this setting is so evocative and fun. It's, it's the different character classes, very unique, uh, very evocative of the setting and genre and interesting or intriguing to play. And the player said, I want to play a Berserker. So we rolled up characters at the table, which didn't take long. And we were able, in our sort of four-hour block, we were able to roll up characters and play uh, rats within the walls and have dinner because we all have dinner together in that group. And they really enjoyed it. And this is a group who um, started with D&D, sort of 3.5 Paizo era, and have mostly been playing 5e. And they really, the, the Thaco and an understanding of descending armor class was a little tricky uh, as usual at the table, what I've noticed too, I noticed this at, at North Texas RPG Con that, uh, or NTX, for those of you who are cool and hip, that uh, some people get the mechanics and some people don't right away for a complex type of game. I noticed that going back to Weird Frontiers, there is a, a mechanic with gunpowder weapons that you draw a card and aces and eights are a misfire and you can get bonuses for some cards, etc., but, um, but some people would forget that. Um, I did have a way, in my adventure at least, where you could still fire projectile weapons but not use gunpowder weapons kind of a way around that curse, right? So, um, which I think was kind of a fu fun and unique. But uh, some people would forget it. Some people didn't get it. Some people really got into it. Like the person who played the luchador um, at my table totally got into it and they play i feel like they played dcc at least before maybe they played some weird frontiers and here you know at the table with the hyperborea one of my friends hooked on to um Thacko and how you did it in armor class and built his berserker pretty well and i think what they loved too they loved surprisingly they also loved the random generation of of culture and weight and height and eye color and hair color and that kind of stuff. So I thought that was was pretty fun, uh, fun surprise actually for me. And kudos to my players. We were able to finish the adventure, which I thought was also pretty cool. Uh, it was pretty harrowing. Uh, at least one character dropped and they had to fall back at one point, um, recuperate, kind of figure out how to quick heal and then jump back in um, and then have, a, I think, a satisfying conclusion. Found out new mysteries. Found a lot of treasure, surprisingly. Um, so when you say that you have to be chintzy about the treasure in these old school games, I disagree. Uh, I think you want to reward the players for the dangers that are presented. Again, there was, you know, not just um, the, the fate or the, the danger of instant death, but also a long lingering death through disease. And they had to figure out how to do that sort of in our um, kind of denouement of the adventure but I, I really playing hyperborea at north texas inspired me to try to get hyperborea to the table and it was successful i feel so i thought that was a, a pretty great outcome so i also got to play and i've never played before i have uh, matt finch's sword and wizardry i was i didn't see matt finch there i don't know if he was there i didn't get to run into him but i got to play uh, sword and wizardry and i really enjoyed it i love that you could and this has probably also kind of helped me, inspired me to get Hyperborea to the table and not be worried about rolling characters at the table because Sword and Wizardry, we did that. We rolled our characters at the table. I made a, a second level wizard uh, who I will now uh, import uh, to Kalmata. Uh, I mean, not t by, but I'll reduce the level 
like they got level drained or something and then um and then play in that because it's so easy and and very cross compatible uh, these systems so i really enjoyed sword of wizardry very easy uh, very uh, relatively simple system and i think that's why i enjoy the older older iterations of of uh, of dnd a lot and i think like even in hyperborea going jumping back to that you know how you you do like tests of different ability scores and uh, you know people like that they don't need to have a whole battery of skills to have to roll they're like oh my background is i used to be a uh, I used to be a mason, so I kind of understand how how this construction might work together. Okay, give me a test of intelligence to see how any other clues that you realize from the situation. You know, stuff like that is just pretty straightforward and easy go, easy to do. And I, and similarly in Swords and Wizardry, there's a mechanic to use your ability score and your your background uh, to solve problem solve. And that's what I did like about the adventure. It was definitely less hack and slashy and more. Um, problem solving and puzzle solving, which I did enjoy that a lot. I thought I, I really enjoyed more of that than just fighting all the time, fighting all the time and then having to fall back and gather resources, but I had a good crew and we were all into the problem solving. So I think that was a, a positive. And uh, again, the, uh, the GM said this is kind of a play test and outline of something that they're developing for swords and wizardry. Um, and uh, I think we, we did definitely enjoyed it. So the other game I I think that's all the games I played in. The other game I ran, I was able to run a playtest of Reaver, and that went really well. I had a, a designer in that group, Edwin Naj from uh, Goodman Games, no Frog God Games, um, and uh, he's a line developer there. And he def he gave me a lot of feedback. I I'm following up with him currently, and hopefully he and Joe or he and Joe and I can get together. And discuss some of the feedback. I, the Reaver went really well. Uh, it's a it's a really intuitive mechanic, and that's what I think is a positive uh, uh, a positive um, take home message from running that game, both at Chupacabra Con and at, at North Texas RPG Con NTX. That um, is intuitive. It ran well at the table. The players had fun. I. I changed the the opening a bit, which I think made for a really fun opening uh, encounter. There's some exploration. Uh, they found things pretty easily. They were pretty lucky this time around compared to the Chupacabracon group that there are no random encounters when they're exploring the ruined city. Um, and then they fought the big bad, and I thought they used great tactics. Again, some players get the mechanics really easily. Some needs a little prompting and help, but that's what playtests are all about, is right to see how people get it and how they don't. Uh, I think the highlights of the game were uh, the ability for the fighter type, the fighter class to use D, uh, their D dice, their exploits to great effect. Uh, the spell casting is a really solid system, I believe, in Reaver. And both times, the spellcasters, uh, the people who played the spellcasters, really got what to do and uh, very descriptive and and nice to to uh, understand simply because it, it's not like uh, Joe Salvador has written like a paragraphs of, of spell description. They're very very much bullet point, straight to the point. This is what it does, and and players uh, really understood that. I thought uh, this time at the table. So in both cases, the the uh, rogue. 
the fighter and the uh, priest were played. And in this case, instead of a barbarian, someone played the scout. Um, and the scout did really well. I thought that was really neat. They had some nice um, ranged firepower in, in this case. Uh, so it was really good. It was a really good time. Um, it's, a, it's a really good game. I can't wait uh, for Joe to finish, do the final tweets on it and uh, and get that game out. So that was the Reaver playtest. And that was uh, my North Texas RPG Con. Other than that, I, I got to see... I just kind of observed, I, you know, um, so Hobbs and Eric Hoffman and Paul Wolf and uh, Wizard Funk also contributed to get a room at North Texas RPG Con. And I think uh, if I want to go with a group and I'm a, more of a developer next year, I'd love to do that or get a room or get in on that. And it was a fun place to hang out. And I got to see a lot of people. So I guess here's where I shout out, and I hope I don't miss anybody. <laughs> but to definitely shout out to Hobbs. Um, he helped me last year to be more social, and that carried over to this year. So Jason Hobbs, love you, man. It's great to hang out with you again at North Texas, and I hope we make it a tradition. Uh, it's great to see TJ Drennan, uh, who does the opening and closing and did the nice little advertisement blurb that you heard at the beginning. It was great to see uh, people that i only known as – as handles on the Discord, like Maltworm, Stu, and Burrito Burren, Eric. Uh, it was great to hang out with them and and contribute to the beer the beer uh, cooler like we did. It was a great time. Uh, it was great to see Paul and Brenda Wolf and Lucas and Cody Mazza. And it was awesome to see uh, Aaron Coleman. And then to meet new friends who came in, like uh, John D. And uh, I think there was another person that I got to play with in several of the games. Tony, um, that uh, it was, I played with him in actually Slugman Hyperporia, and then I saw him jumping into some of the Kalmata and uh, lo uh, low fantasy gaming uh, groups that, that Hobbs and, and others were running. So, um, so yeah, it was great to see Aaron Coleman, and I was watching a Kalmata at the table, which apparently was towards the end of a tail end epic Kalmata session, and it looked pretty freaking epic, and it was fun to observe and hear it as if I were there watching on the Twitch, right? But it was live, and I thought that was great that uh, Hobbs, Hobbs et al. could get uh, both Kalmata and Forlorn Shores and Low Fantasy Gaming to the table and play those and see those live. So um, so great stuff. I had a great time. Um, I'm, here's a So last year I kind of did my own thing, and one of the nights I went out and did stuff. But this time I kind of stayed around the hotel and hung out with friends, and I think that was probably the best and for the best kept me out of trouble but uh kept me hanging with these great these great guys that i got to share beers with yeah so uh, anyway that's enough of the rambling from the north texas and now we'll get to the calls Hi Carl, this is Michael, Chicago is with Dungeon Master's Handbook. 
I just got done listening to your May 24th episode, Sci-Fi-ish, and as someone who's about to run Traveler for the very first time, I wanted to thank you for going into some detail on all the different things you uh, you were doing in your game. I'm not running the same version you are. I'm running a classic Traveler from the 1977 Three Little Black Books, and what I've been doing with a lot of these um, uh podcasts and videos that I'm watching is I will mentally think to myself, okay, how would I handle that situation? What would I roll and what would I do? And uh, I did the same thing for you on how I would handle vehicle combat or how I would handle if somebody wanted to do something in half the time and and so on. And just kind of coming up with my own approaches because um, CT77 definitely was very much a framework for the referee to do all that stuff on their own without having to uh, look it up in a book or have it written out for them. So anyway, just wanted to call in and say thanks and look forward to hearing more about your uh, Traveler campaign. We'll talk to you later. Hey, Michael. So Thank you so much for the call. You know, that's the awesome thing about Traveler from 77 to 2023 that it is 2d6, hit a target number, very simple system. At, you know, it's very modular, especially the older version, uh, for sure, that you can add in things and change things. And that's the beauty, I think, of the system and its universality. And that's great. They, and the, the thing about 77, what I, I like about 77 is that it, it uh, removes or it doesn't have the uh, Third Imperium stuff, the official Traveler universe. It's definitely very generic, and I'm glad that you're able to use it uh, for your upcoming Battle Star Galactica game, which I'm looking forward to hearing about. So, so for for me, I, I we chose Mongoose Traveler two because of the accessibility. But for sure, I mean, I have a lot of classic Traveler products that I've always wanted to get to the table. I've always wanted to get the Sky Raiders trilogy by the Keith brothers to the table, and I think the thing is, I think I can do that with Mongoose Traveler two. And, and if not, if I don't have the, the right group for it, well, then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll solicit the uh, the Audio Dungeon Discord and the Discord Verse and my home group players and see if they want to do it. And I'll use uh, 1977 or 81 or, or something like that. Um, I've always liked Mega Traveler, too, um, although the, the Rebellion kind of throws sort of the, this meta plot in, in, into the works, which you got to kind of deal with or ignore, uh, like, like uh, GURPS Traveler did. So, so anyway, yeah, it's it's a it's a great system, and I'm so glad that I've been able to get it to the table. And I'm glad, like some of my modifications, because because even Mongoose Traveler doesn't have a rule for everything, um, and sometimes at the table and at the and on the fly, you gotta make a judgment call. And I think that is why these games are resilient and stand the test of time. It's not everything is codified uh, to the point of madness, and um, like. I know that one of my players doesn't like playing certain games because you got to roll for everything. You got to—they say you got to roll to make a roll to then make another roll, and uh, they would rather be immersed in the game, get into the character, uh, do the role playing, and less of the die rolling, um, if you know what I mean. So I'm, I'm glad you you've enjoyed it. I hope to continue. We had such an awesome session that I will not talk about here because I think it needs its own uh, section. Uh, but our last session of Traveler was so, so much character, I would say, development and interaction, both from my side of the NPCs and, and the player characters. Lots of 
lots of what people would call talky-talking, not a lot of action, but uh, but there's definitely some action and, and definitely the story moved forward. So uh, that's all I'll say. Thanks again for the call, uh, Michael, and I will talk to you soon. Carry on my wayward son There'll be peace when you are done Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry no more Hey Carl, listen to your latest And you're right, it is good to be a player Listen, I hope you're having a great time at um, North Texas. And as far as the historical mixes, I think you're the person I was talking to that was talking about following up on the idea of the Roman Empire hitting the Chinese Empire. And, you know, the other day, Dragon Blade from 2015 was on TV. And, you know, it's got Jackie Chan and, um, I don't know, a bunch of people in it. And it... You know, it's not a great movie, but you could do a really interesting game with that, right? And and there's some historical basis for it and some things that may be apocrypha, but it would be a really interesting scenario, and you wouldn't even need silly Cthulhu things in there to make it fun. So I, I hope you do follow up on that at some point. I'd love to play in a game like that. I know I really enjoyed the Cthulhu Invictus stuff, um, even with the silly Cthulhu stuff. To follow up a little bit more on Richter's call, the sci-fi elements in Twilight 2000, I get where he's coming from, right? Twilight, although in Twilight 2000, it's, you know, maybe the Twilight of Mankind. But like you mentioned, Dark Conspiracy, even first edition Dark Conspiracy, which is one we played back in the day, we played on deployment and, and stuff when I was in the Army. And first edition shares the same rules as first edition Twilight 2000. And Dark Conspiracy might be closer to what Joe's looking for, because Dark Conspiracy is actually a, a really neat game, using the same game mechanics, but you're set in a slightly future world, you know, it's nominally set in America, and it uses the whole point-to-light idea, where the areas between the big cities are demon grounds, and now NASA, instead of exploring space, NASA, invest NASA investigators are investigating demons and stuff. They're, they're psychic powers, they're cyborgs. Of course, when you're made a cyborg, you make this, you're making a deal with the GM that whoever created you and made you into a cyborg could take back control of you at any time. And that happened during our game to my cyborg. And a, our, a psychic in the group tried to mind probe my character, and he said, nope, this is, this, this is now a threat. You have to kill him. And my cyborg killed him. So there's some PvP story for you. Um, it was all fun, though. We, we were having a good time. But... Okay, that's enough for me for now. I should clarify, the GM gave that psychic a lot of chances not to do it. You, you remember when we there was a game of Barbarians Lemuria and somebody wanted to, they had a scorpion or something on their hand and they wanted to stab it with their spear with their other hand and, you know, there were warnings like this might not be a good idea, you may not want to do that. And, and the player did that anyway. Well, it was kind of the same thing with the psychic. You know, it's like, hey, this is a really bad idea. Maybe you don't want to do this. And, you know, he's like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to do it. And, yeah, then my cyborg snapped and went into kill mode. So, 
but that, that player had plenty of warnings. I, I, I just want to put that out there. It was It was made with full knowledge. Hey, Jason, thank you for the call. Thank you always so much for calling um, my little podcast here, and I love the interaction that we have uh, both in games and uh, through the podcast media and on the Discord. And, yeah, so I don't know if it was us that talked about it, but definitely uh, Kevin Madison, when he's he's running his, like, um, this year, he's running an overarching story for his charity sessions, and this was one of the things he talked about, this apocryphal idea that that Han Chinese and legionnaires from the Roman times, early empire, uh, met. And there's even some apocryphal ideas. I don't know if they've ever been subjected to DNA testing to see if it's true, that there's uh, at least a town called Lijian in China somewhere that maybe has, was where some of these Romans who went east or were captured and sent east uh, by the Parthians uh, ended up. So it, it's pretty cool. I, I would like to get Invictus back to the table. Amy and I have been talking about it. I think, um, yeah, it's really uh, a neat verse. Uh, the Roman times are a neat verse. And you're right, you don't have to throw Cthulhu in all the time. I My best weird fantasy, weird weird stuff, weird historical stuff has been when the mythos or the horror, not necessarily mythos, was was um, subtle. And I even, I think one of the best times I was able to do this was in a something I called, uh, we called um, High Plains Heroes. And it was, it was a Western game, but there was some, um, some weird stuff. But it, the fun thing for me was that the players interpreted it in different ways, whereas the Native American character uh, interpreted it as talking to the spirits and the spirit world, the Christian character looked at the weird stuff as demons and devils versus angels, and uh, the there's a, a Mexican character, a, a character of Mexican ethnicity that saw as that as commuting commuting with his Mexica Aztec ancestors. So uh, it just depended on the context on how you approached the weird and how you interpreted it. And I think that worked the best instead of hammering the mythos or whatever otherworldly experience you might have on the player characters. So I, I think I need to think about that and revisit that and try to do that when I um, write for like Octoon Cthulhu or or Call of Cthulhu, um, so, or Delta Green even, just make it so that it's subtle or strange, and maybe it's maybe it's mythos, but maybe it's aliens, or maybe it's interdimensional demons, I don't know. Um, and that kind of brings me to, like, talking about dark conspiracy. I really need to track that down. I'm very interested now in dark conspiracy, and I know they had a really nice... I just passed on it. I don't know. I think we were just so focused in and Soldier of Fortune and Merc stuff at the time. But then when I got that Twilight Nightmares, I was like, oh, man, this incorporates some dark conspiracy stuff. So it'd be great to track it down, and I just never did. But now maybe I want to in the secondary market or like um, uh, Mark Miller, uh, Far Futures Enterprise. They always have like the thumb drives um, or CD-ROMs of 
of these older products. So maybe I'll try to track that down and, and find out you know, if I can get, get the whole thing or, or maybe there'll be a drive through or and stuff on it. I think drive through has this kind of stuff, but um, yeah, it's great. And I love your, I love your little tale of PVP. I, yeah, you, you gave them warnings and uh, well, you even cussed about it too, which is maybe off character. I don't know if that's off character for Jason Connolly, but um, yeah, I, I really like that. I think it's kind of neat. It'd be fun to play and uh, get the weird into a uh, modern horror conspiracy uh, game. I, I, I feel like a lot of that type of modern stuff has now gone more urban fantasy, but I'd love to do like a, like more of a, a dark conspiracy X files. Um, I mean, Delta green does that great, I think, but uh, dark conspiracy is definitely worth looking into. And uh, yeah, um, I'm going to let you talk some more and then I'll come back. Hey Carl, I'm driving in the car while I'm listening. So I might be wrong. Wasn't a rough night in the three feathers, the, adventure in first edition warhammer isn't that where it first appeared maybe not but there was something an adventure in in i thought in first edition warhammer in the back of the book i, I won't discuss the specifics because i don't necessarily want to ruin it but I, I i might be mixing up the names of the different adventures i don't know but again i'm driving so i can't look it up so probably last message i don't know we'll see what the unboxing is but reference Wushu games and all, there's an interesting thread, I'll maybe send you a link, or we'll see how it plays out, over on RPG.net about the, um, now I forget, I know you picked it up, the Leopard, the the new Tunnels and Trolls spinoff, or Monstrous Monsters spinoff, the something Leopardist, or Leopard something something, and there's a talk about, with the author there, is Sarah Newton maybe, or, I, I'm getting her name wrong, because I'm in the car driving, but but she's talking to somebody else on there about adapting that system for Wuxia's type things, and she she gives examples during that thread on how she would do it, and it's it's really interesting. Um, I'll, I'll shoot you a link to that thread when I get a chance, but yeah, it's there, there's definitely some some neat ideas about that, and, and we'll probably we need to re look at like Heroes of the Ogre Gate and do another episode talking about that. So anyhow. I will talk to you later. Okay, now that I'm stopped, it is Sarah Newton. The layer of the imp, the layer of the leopard empress is the game I'm thinking of. And with the link I'm going to send you, start with like message seventy-three. Okay. This is great. Now we get to do a history lesson of Rough Night at the Three Feathers. So this is from a blog uh, by Graham Davis. I'm on the Cubicle Seven website. I put the link in the show notes, but. Rough Night of Three Feathers. It is hands down one of the best game's best adventures. One of my players has always stated that's the best adventure he ever played in. It was actually reprinted twice in Warhammer First Edition in the compilations of Restless Dead and then Apocrypha Now. That was published by Hogshead back in 90, 1995. And then in 2005, 18 years after, it was adapted for a second edition in Plundered Vaults. And I think I have all of that, which would be kind of fun. But it originally appeared um, in White Dwarf magazine, so I was right, White Dwarf, not Dragon, in November of 1987. And and Graham Davis says he, he kind of wrote it as a multi-plot adventure experiment to see if it could be done. And then uh, he also did Natasha's Wedding, which was in Pyramid Number 19. So he wanted to continue 
and, and put it together, this plot of the Graven Maria Ulrike von Leibowitz of Ambestein and her feud with the von Damenblatt's, Damenblatt's family of Weissenberg in the adventure. So it kind of continues that. And the compilation now um, is uh, in four, it puts all these together. And it's like six adventures or so. And it puts everything together from Rough Night at the Three Feathers all the way through to Natasha's wedding, I believe. Um, but uh, with some fun stuff in between. So I believe, so they've done it for, I don't think they did it, but they did do it for third edition. The Edge of Night uh, in the third edition included a chapter set at Uberstrike Manor where nobles get into all kinds of trouble. So I guess Rough Night hasn't been done for third edition, but the story of Graven Maria Ulrich von Leibowitz has been. So uh, yeah, it's a kind of a neat, uh, neat mini campaign. And I'm glad that they've continued it. But again, I put the link in the show notes. And then as far as uh, Sarah Newton goes and her new product, I'm actually very excited about it. And uh, that's pretty cool that you that you know she talks about doing wuxia with her with monsters, 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 and how you can do it. And she has like a sword and sorcery um, game. Let's see. I wonder if I've received it. I might have received it actually. So did you force me to do an unboxing, Jason? I think you have forced me to do an unboxing here in the middle of everything. So this is from Lightning Source. It's a book, and it is. Um, nine and a half, so 23 and three quarters centimeters by 13 and a quarter or 34 centimeters. Uh, lightning source kind of book box thing that is about an inch or two and a half centimeters um, thick. It's a pretty thick, sticky book, and it's got a preparation. I can tear it. And yes, it is. I can tell by the back. Oh, it's a pretty big book. The Lair of the Leopard Empress. Super heroic swords and sorcery adventure. A role-playing game by Sarah Newton. Um, it is pretty thick. I did a print-on-demand. It's about 400 pages. Good for Sarah Newton. She's had some uh, real-life uh, shit come her way, and it looks like she's back onto it. as Mind Jammer Press. Um, so it looks like there are 15 chapters. It looks, including a... Um, an adventure, which looks kind of cool. So introduction, overview, basics, kindreds and callings, etc. Um, I wonder what's in this book. It's a guide to monsters, monsters, monsters. Kind of fun. Wow, the art is really nice. Yep, uh, character creation is in here. How to do that? Um, combat, etc. Uh, really simple. Which is nice and see chapter three and then callings etc things that they add kindreds etc looks really good um looks really good so i'm excited to uh, get into it um very evocative the cover and the maps and all that kind of stuff and um like i said there was a there is a convention uh, an adventure in the back uh, a bestiary incorporated it within uh, which is kind of cool so um so yeah i enjoy it there you got it. The Lair of the Lairford Empress by Sarah Newton. A role-playing game. All right. My, that was very quick. My next call is going to be from Joe Richter.
Carl. So I think you're heading out to North Texas RPG Con right now. So you might not hear this for a while, but I hope you have an awesome time. That's rad that you're going to meet up with Hobbs and TJ and a bunch of those dudes. That's very, very cool. I wanted to touch on your little uh, rant about the cease and desist letters. So the the thing about cease and desist letters are they're not, <laughs> they're just threatening letters. You don't have to listen to them. So I hope your friend's brewery doesn't stop just because they got a cease and desist letter. There's no legal standing to say the name Dale can never be used in any type of beer. Also, they're not using the name Dale. They're using Dale, which is a Spanish word. So they have no legal standing on which to base any sort of lawsuit. So hopefully they don't bow down to some jumped up lawyer. Plus Oscar Blues, they kind of suck, man. Dale's Pale Ale is okay. It's all right, but... The rest of their beers aren't, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, like in the thing about monkey, you, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. A, a, a company can't say, hey, we're called monkey. No one else can ever use monkey in their name ever again. That's, that's, that's not how trademarks work. That's not how copyright works. And it's just, it's just people wanting to shut stuff down thinking that if they send a letter from a lawyer, people will be intimidated and stop doing what the person wants them to stop doing, even though they have no legal right to tell them to stop doing that thing. Anyway, man, that's a take from a non-lawyer. Have a good day. Have super fun at North Texas RPG Con. Peace out. Hey, Joe, thank you for the call and the rant. Yeah, I, yeah it's, a, it's a crappy thing for other companies to do that, especially in the brewing industry but i guess it's becoming more competitive and litigious unfortunately well weathered souls they don't want to be sure they could fight it but then you need a lawyer and that costs money so they just change the name they change the name to echale which is a mexican style lager and so uh brew monkey changed their name to second pitch and that's what they would rather do they'd rather not deal with it i guess be the better be the better company and rise above it. Just change the name. It's not that big deal. They still make quality beer uh, compared to the crappy stuff that the uh, other people put out. And maybe that's why they did it because they realized that their product is subpar. Therefore, they have to compensate. Right? It's like um, people buying a muscle car, I guess, or a big giant four by four on a heavy lift. So yeah, it's unfortunate. I had a great time at um, North Texas RPG Con. Uh, seeing all those people and uh, it'd be great if we can get you out or whenever we do Richtercon uh, to get everyone together and have a great gaming reunion and drink lots of beer. All right. Thanks for the call. As you know, I'm pretty fascinated by the the relationship between history and RPGs and 
I know it's a little bit of a specialized, uh, specialism of yours, shall we say. In your travels, have you come across much in a way of really decent history podcasts? I've started listening to uh, History Extra put out by the BBC, and I've listened to the, uh, some Dan Carlin stuff in the past, but I've always found your recommendations for TV shows to be good and I wondered perhaps you may have some podcast or maybe your listeners in fact have got some podcast history podcast recommendations I don't know it's a long shot but it might just work take care mate and I'll catch you later hey there spike pit um you know I don't couldn't give you some any recommendation I know we watch a lot of stuff on YouTube right now uh, with regards to history and there is one YouTube channel just called Military History that runs a gamut on all types of military-type history. We found one on the Roman world that's pretty done. It's done by a Scandinavian group. And one of my favorite, at least YouTubes, I don't know about podcasts, but YouTubes, maybe he has a podcast. It's Todd's Workshop, where he looks at testing weapons against armor. And this is a famous one where he tested um, arrows versus armor and crossbows versus armor etc so uh, those are really fun and really good neat to look at and i like that kind of stuff uh, debunking movie myths and looking at things historically with period weapons and period armor is a big thing of mine of course and i just like like to represent accuracy i know that's all simulation and narrative but you know i, I want it to be grounded in something right um Amy has a lot more. She kind of watches the YouTubes and looks at these different things. That she's definitely into um, many periods in, in history. She always looks, of course, at uh, powerful women in history that are overlooked. So, like the uh, all the women around the time of the War of the Roses, from uh, Mary de uh, Mary de Beaufort to, um, and then and then later on uh, Catherine de Medici, um, people like that. So. Um, so yeah, it's pretty pretty cool stuff. I I guess I I know maybe um, there was one podcast that was really good, but I just can't remember the name of it. That BJ Boyd of the Arcane Alienist recommended to me, and it was about uh, Norse stuff uh, done by a uh, like a professor, like a cowboy professor or something like that. Um, I don't know if he'll get back to me in time to publish this, but maybe we can hit him up and ask him what the name of that podcast was. So sorry for the vagaries. I just go on YouTube and do a, a conspiracy dive, I guess. Um, but who knows what you're going to pick up. Um, pick up all sorts, unfortunately, pick up all sorts of stuff, at least in the U.S., right? If you go to weapons, it's all about guns and different guns. But, uh, you know, you can find some neat period stuff um, on, on the YouTubes that are pretty well done and very accurate, high production values. Um, but you're probably looking for podcasts and podcasts. I, I don't know. I listen to uh, gaming podcasts and beer podcasts. So I will, I will continue to search though for, for you. Um, and I hope maybe you can find some to recommend to me, but uh, thanks for the call. And, uh, you know, I'll take this opportunity to do an outro. Thank you everyone for listening. This has been the geomologist presents and you can, Drop me a line, I hope you will, at geomologist at gmail.com. 
either a voice recorder or a text message or whatever written message. You can also do this on the Discord, a voice recorded message or text message, text message. You can also leave me a 90 second message on SpeakPipe. I have a link in the show notes. Or you can try on the Anchor website, formerly formerly Anchor website, now Spotify Podcasters, to leave me a message. So the intro and outro music, the fun one from North Texas, is by TJ Drennan. The outro music is also by TJ Drennan. My wife, Amy, does a cover clip art. And this has been The Geomologist Presents. Oh, one more thing. Colin, before I leave, I did get a message. It is Dr. Jackson Crawford. Old North Channel. It is also on YouTube, but he probably has like a link to a podcast as well. So there you go. The Arcane Alienist came through. Thank you so much, BJ, for that quick message and response. So anyway, I am the Geomologist. Good night and good rolling. Oh,